You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we are imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Good morning. How is everybody? Good. I'm well. I spent two weeks talking about prayer and just why prayer is necessary, why it's needed, uh, why it is uh, in our mission statement that we that we want to uh, that we feel called to engage the city of Cheyenne with the gospel to develop followers of Jesus, and the 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 way that we're going to be able to do that is by seeking God, depending on Him, leaning into Him trusting that he has empowered us to do the mission that he's called us to do. If you were not here last week, uh, I kind of ended my sermon with just the, the, the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Uh, some of you think that you, if you just had more of the Holy Spirit, you'd be able to live the Christian life better. And I said uh, that, that you have all the Holy Spirit that you ever need, that that happened when you believed in Jesus. Uh, the issue is not you getting more of the Holy Spirit. The issue may be uh, the Holy Spirit getting more of you. So I ended the message on that. And then today I want to talk about engaging Cheyenne. Now that sounds stale a little bit. Like here, this is why we need to engage Cheyenne. I, I just want, I, my hope and desire for you is not to make you feel bad or to feel guilty. I want you to feel compelled when you leave here to engage our city with the gospel. All of us were, have been called to do that. So, like the week before last week, this week is just another reminder of just how jacked up our world is, right? Our nation, how, how, how much of a mess uh, things are in. Uh, we live in a troubled world, right? What we saw, what we are seeing play out in our nation is just symptomatic of that. We live in a troubled world. Uh, that's nothing new. You know, movies portray that. You know, books that we read, novels, you know, echo that. Uh, the the elections were certainly uh, the election was certainly shaped by that. 
the cause of humanity's ills has received countless theories, right, of numerous different people as to why it is, why we are the way that we are, from Socrates to Oprah, right, and so many others, before Socrates and uh, after Oprah. In all of history, um, what history has taught us is, is that the most glaring lesson uh, for us experientially and what we see around us is that our problem is not government, it's not family, it's not poverty, it's not public schools, sorry homeschoolers, public schools are not the bane of our existence. Like That's not the reason for why our world is the way that it is. The reason why the world is the way that it is, and you know this, is why us, the human heart, you know, the human heart, the seat of the emotions. It's, you know, why we do what we do. It's, you know, that's the problem. Uh, the Bible says, and you're familiar with this passage, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately what? Sick. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? The, the prophet asks. And so Paul, Paul starts off in this passage that we're looking at this, this morning. He starts off... And he just says, uh, you know, for though I am free, uh, a free uh, you know, though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. And a few verses before that, in verse 16, he said, "Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel." Now, you, that word "woe" should be familiar to you if you've read the Bible. Um, the prophet Isaiah said something similar to that in Isaiah chapter six when he saw God on the throne. He had a vision of God on a throne, and he saw the seraphim, those are angels, around the throne, and they were singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory, and, and we learn in Isaiah 6 that the thresholds of, uh, and the foundations of heaven shook at the sound of these angels who sang you know, around the throne, and as Isaiah saw what he saw, he pronounced a curse upon himself. He said, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. I should not be here right now. I should be dead. That's, that's, so Paul is saying something similar to that. Woe to me if I do not preach the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul was not saying, Woe to me if I can't find a church somewhere to preach before a congregation. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, Woe to me if I do not use every opportunity that I have been given by God above to share with people who do not know Jesus the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, Jesus used a similar word when he was referring to the Pharisees. Woe to you, Pharisees, blind guides, you hypocrites. And he gave a whole list. <laughs> it was not so nice. And uh, didn't um, make the Pharisees want to be closer friends with Jesus. They actually wanted to kill him as a result. You can read that in any of the Gospels. So Paul starts off and he says, Woe to me if I do not preach the Gospel. He said in Romans chapter 9, something similar. He said, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Why would he say those things? Why would he pronounce a curse upon himself? Woe, if I don't preach the gospel. 
Why would he say what he said in Romans chapter 9? I wish that if it were possible, I would be cut off from the grace of God and, and the forgiveness of my sins if it were possible to do that so that my kinsmen could hear the gospel, believe it, and receive Jesus. Why would he say that? Because he understood that there is a reality, that there is a judgment that is coming for all people who have not heard the gospel or who have not believed the gospel. Now that sounds exclusive, but it's true. It's just as exclusive as if you had cancer and the doctor came to you in your room and said there's only one cure to your cancer, take it or leave it. If you don't do it, you're going to die. If you take the treatment, you will live. There's no other way. Paul understood there was no other way to escape this judgment that was coming that would lead to hell apart from the gospel. What, what is that judgment? Well, in Revelation chapter 20, we're, giving, we're given just a small glimpse of what that will be and what that will be like. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead great and small, peasants and kings, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done, and the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, there are two subjects that are on the bottom of the list of the most favorite things of most pastors, that it's true of most pastors, to preach. I'm one of those. Like, these are on the bottom of my list of the most, like, the least favorite. I, I, these are things I'm not, I, I don't like preaching on. Um, and here they are. Hell and money, right? They're both in the Bible. <laughs> Hell and money. And, and sometimes, like, I, I'm not sure which one is at the total bottom of the list. Is it hell or is it money? Because um, it's, it's interesting, because after I preach a sermon that ha deals with hell or money, um, not everybody's thrilled, right? But it's real. Did a funeral, a memorial service yesterday for a man who served our country. He died at the age of 88. His name um, was Frank, and he died on December 14th. Was his body was cremated, and we had his memorial service yesterday. Um, there was honor guard. There was the um, the, with the 21 gun salute, uh, you know, out in the parking lot, which scared uh, our neighbors. Um, got a text message yesterday. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Didn't realize it was going to be so loud. Um, and uh, most of the people in that service yesterday, my guess is probably didn't know Jesus. And um, because I believe this is real, every memorial service, every funeral that I've preached at, this is part of the conversation. Hell is real. It's real. Daniel chapter 12, which we'll get to 20 weeks into the, ser the series on Daniel, said, says this. He says, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. 
The Amplified Bible so, you know, puts it this way. <clears throat> and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and then some to what? Disgrace and everlasting abhorrence. This is real. I, I, you know, in seminary, I, we had to pick a paper, a big research paper to write, and because I like to make life difficult on myself, <laughs> I, uh, I chose the doctrine of hell. And it was a level four class. It was the highest level class you could take in seminary. And uh, the title of my paper was a 40-page paper titled, How God is Glorified in the Doctrine of Endless Punishment. Uh, my reading list, that was a spring semester class, so my reading list in, during Christmas was about 40 books on the doctrine of hell. <laughs> Fun reading list for Christmas, you know. Um, I actually have that paper. You're more than welcome. If you want it, I can send you a copy of it. Um, where I try to show how God is glorified even in something as horrible as the doctrine of hell. It's eternal. It's horrible. <clears throat> it's a place of judgment. <clears throat> in Revelation 14, verse 11, it says, it is a place that is eternal where their smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. Uh, it's away from the presence of the Lord. Jesus talked about hell more than he did love, believe it or not. He described hell as a place of eternal destruction, eternal punishment, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And if you've been in so much pain where you just grit your teeth, you know, have you ever experienced that? Um, you know, when I was, you know, when I had my cycling accident, that's the closest that I can, that I can't, that's, that's the most pain I've ever experienced when I fractured my pelvis and tore my labrum and I was laying there on the concrete slab. Um, I was gritting my teeth. Th that hurt. Jesus said, that's the experience of the damned that they will have for all eternity. I have loved ones that are in hell. Jesus described it as a place of fire. And so Paul said, I, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I may win more of them. I am looking for ways to identify with the, the, those in my community to share the gospel with them because I know if they reject the gospel or if they don't hear the gospel, what's waiting for them. That's why I do what I do. In Romans chapter 5, he said, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for who? The ungodly. That's us. And then he says, but God, later on, he says, but God demonstrates his own love for us that in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us. Like you've heard me say multiple times, and I'm going to say it, almost every Sunday, as often as I think of it, that Jesus lived a life that we could never live, this perfect life in obedience to the law of God for a purpose so that he would go to a cross and experience the full wrath of God in our place. God did this as a result of his love for us. And the problem is, is is that we're okay with approaching God on our terms, but how dare he invite us to come to him on his terms? So hell is real. And Jesus, or Paul said, I'm just compelled to preach 
To preach is to announce good news. Not what I do every Sunday. I mean, that's part of preaching. The kind of preaching Paul's talking about is what you do in your workplace, across the table, you know, having coffee with somebody, or a beer, or at a game, or on a, you know, riding a bike like I like to do. Just sharing the gospel as you are going. So that's my introduction. And then here are my two points. Ready? Here, people hope. They need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. They need to hear it. That is the only hope that anybody can, can have to, to have their sins forgiven and to, ex, to escape judgment. They need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And the principal means by which God is going to communicate the gospel to people is through us. Through people who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus. Through us. And so Paul said, I... I there were there's three types of people that I'm looking to build bridges into their life so I can share the gospel with them. I, I, it's my kinsmen, <clears throat> my fellow Jew. I'm looking for ways into their lives. I'm looking for ways into the lives of Gentiles who know nothing about the God of Moses or the Old Testament. And I'm looking for ways to bring the gospel to those who are just plain old ignorant of, of anything that God is doing in the world. I'm looking for ways to, to rub shoulders with them. To the Jews, I become as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I become as one under the law, though I'm not uh, technically under the law, that I might win those who are under the, the law. To those outside the law, I become as one outside the law. That's the Gentiles. And so I'm looking for ways to, to win them to, the God, you know, to Jesus. And so for the Jew, Paul celebrated the festivals with them. He, he, he would celebrate Passover with, the, with the, his fellow kinsmen. He would um, look for ways to have time with them, to build relationships with them, to share the gospel with them. Like Paul's approach to sharing the gospel was not blitzing them through social media with verses. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't you know, postcards or posters that say John 3.16. It was, it was him engaging people one-on-one. Um, that is the best method of sharing the gospel. And to the Gentiles, well, you know, these were people who, who knew nothing about Moses or about the God of the Old Testament. So he looked for ways to engage the gospel, engage them with the gospel. There's a great example of that in Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, uh, we're told that as, as Paul uh, walked through the streets of Athens, he was greatly troubled over the uh, many idols that lined the streets in Athens. So what did he do? Did he track bomb Athens? Like just hand out tracks to everybody as he walked by them? No. No, he looked for a way to engage them in a charitable, honest a graceful way, but with the truth, without pulling any punches. So he found himself in, the, in this place where all the thinkers would gather together and uh, they would engage their ideas and philosophies. And so Paul used that as an opportunity to share the gospel. And do you know what he did? Uh, do you know how he shared the gospel with these people? He quoted their prophets, he quoted their philosophers, he understood their culture, he used that as a bridge to share the gospel with these people. Yeah, and, and every culture has 
cultural goods. Every culture has a, a language, and every good missionary needs to learn both, right? So every good missionary has to learn the language of the people because if you don't know their language, you're not going to get very far in communicating with them, right? And then you need to learn the cultural goods of that, of that culture. Not all cultural goods, like the, cultural, the things that culture values, are bad things. Well, most of them are just good things that the culture makes ultimate things. Like football is not a bad thing. But our culture has made it an ultimate thing, therefore it's become an idol. Um, and so a good missionary will learn the language of the people and learn the culture. And you learn the culture, I call it the cultural language. You learn the cultural language as a way of building a bridge into the lives of those who don't know Jesus or don't even, wouldn't even think about coming to church. That's what missionaries do. So um, at Missio Day Fellowship, the church I planted in, in Colorado, uh, I started off, when I, wanted, when I decided to get healthy, started off as a runner and so got really involved in running. And uh, there was a, an event um, called the Adventure Run that one of the um, Roadrunner Sports put on, and we gave away prizes as a church. I participated, and we had one of those stations where, where if you ran a certain distance, you got raffle tickets, and you won prizes, and it was awesome. You know, uh, I told you, you I would host UFC parties. We're going to do that again here at Monsieur de, or Meadowbrook. I did it at Monsieur de Fellowship. We're going to do it at Meadowbrook. And um, it was awesome, and, and there are other things that, we can, that you can do. There are, there are things that you know about this culture that are the cultural goods of this community that you can use as a bridge to share the gospel with people. Um, and so we've got to figure out what those are. Paul did that, and he did it well. Maybe not perfectly, but he did it well. And then thirdly, Paul was symp sympathetic to those whose bondage to the superstitions and idols of the day held a strong grip upon their lives. You, do you know the really great thing about, about Paul and just learning from his life? He never, I don't think, everything I've read in the Bible, Paul never made those who didn't know Jesus feel like they were dumb. You know why? Because Paul didn't expect a world that was Christless to behave like a world that knew Jesus. And so... In fact, he didn't call any, any of these unbelievers dumb or stupid. He challenged them. He, you know, he, he didn't pull any punches when it came to truth. The only people that he called stupid were people in the church, like Galatians. Read that sometime. He said, you dumb, literally, you dumb Galatians. Who cast a spell on you? Like you heard the gospel, the greatest news in the universe, you believed it, and, and I even saw it happen in your lives, and then somebody came along and they told you something different and you bought into it right away. Who, who, who cast a spell on you? So we as Christians need to be charitable in the way we approach you know, the world because the world needs to hear the gospel. The world will not behave like it knows Jesus because it doesn't know Jesus. Politicians will behave like politicians because they don't know Jesus, most of them. Not all of them. Some of them do know Jesus. But that's just the world that we live in. Uh, musicians, same thing. Those who write, you know, write scripts for films, they, same thing. You know what they do see? Every person in this world, this is what we share in common, every person in this world bears the image of the living God. 
And uh, those who do not believe in Jesus, I, I, I really believe this, okay? Those who do not believe in Jesus, what they see is kind of like the blind man that encountered Jesus. He, they see shadows. They kind of see that there's something not right with the world. There's a truth there. I can't quite put my finger on it. I'm just going to take a stab at it and just kind of create my own truth or whatever. And so they create films and stories and, and songs that have, a, a, they have an element of truth, of truth in them, but they don't really represent the truth. And the church, that's us, our role, our responsibility is to do what Paul did in Athens. Say, okay, so right now you just kind of got, you're just seeing shadows, but let me tell you, let me tell you what deep down inside you really know is true that there's a God who made you in his image. And, um, and so we see that. I remember watching, um, I actually like this movie, uh, oh, what is it? Um, I'm, I'm, having a, I'm drawing a blank. It's the alien version of Pocahontas. Um, Avatar. Avatar, yes. Saw that in a the movie theater, right? <laughs> Saw that in a the movie theater. Um, <laughs> so... I remember going to see that film, and I was impressed. It was the, I think it was the first film that was immersive 3D, where you like went there, and it was like it brought you into 3D. It didn't like try to overwhelm your senses by things flying at your head that weren't there, right? Um, I walked out of there, and my one friend who went and saw it, he's like, "Man, that was just so horrible. That was just, that was, you know, blah 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 blah." And I, and I said to him, "I said, I said, I actually really liked it. You know what I liked about it?" Here's an atheist who created a film and put it on canvas or put it on screen and, um, and created something out of nothing. Do you know why he was able to do that? Because he was made in the image of God. And our role is to explain why they're able to do that and to fill in the blanks and add color to their you know, thing. So anyway, none of that was in my notes, but you're welcome. Um, we must, second point, we must engage the mission of God because it matters. Because it matters. Uh, verse 24 says, Paul says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. And he said, you know, athletes work hard. Good athletes work hard at being good athletes. They really work hard. They have to discipline their bodies. They have to discipline their minds. They have to, you know, like runners will tell you that, you know, as you're running and as you're training, you hit a wall. And your body is telling you, or your brain's telling you, you can't do it. You can't go any further. And, and you, you literally have to have an argument with yourself and fight through it. It's like with anything. Um, and so Paul's saying, look, look, just like athletes have to do this you know, with the body physically, we are called to engage the world spiritually. And yeah, it's nerve-wracking. And yeah, you know, you, you, it might scare you a little bit. But think about what's on the line here. Like, how many of you get nervous about sharing the gospel with other people in your life? I do. And the rest of you lie that didn't raise your hand. Like, like <laughs> either that or we're filled with evangelists at Meadowbrook, and we're going to see Cheyenne change for, for the glory of God. Um, yeah, I mean, I have an argument. Every time I'm on a plane, I sit next to somebody I don't know. I have an argument with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's like, oh, you should share the gospel with them. I'm like, no, I don't think I should. And then it goes on for about 10 minutes. And... Um, and I know either this conversation is going to last the entire duration of our flight, or it will be really awkward for the entire duration of our flight, or the person will shut me down and I'll be able to listen to my noise-canceling headphones and watch my movie that I was planning on watching the day before, right? And so, uh, and usually when I tell them I'm a pastor, it shuts down the whole conversation. Um, but I, I get nervous about sharing the gospel with people. 
I've got to look for ways that I am able to place myself in an environment that's outside the church. And, and so, you know, I look, I look for hobbies. You know, what are the things that I enjoy? I li- I'm highly competitive. So um, because I'm 46 and running hurts my legs, I took up cycling. And I, you know, I, I'm a cyclist and I love cycling. And I see somebody ahead of me and I see them like, you know, pushing it. I'm like, I got to beat that person. They don't know me. They don't know who I am, but I got to pass them. Uh, that's just in my nature. I, I, I'm just compelled to, to, to try to get better. Um, it's, you know, I, I, I look for that in every environment that I'm in. I look for ways to engage my world with the gospel. And you guys, you all have hobbies and things that you like. The challenge to you is to find whatever that is and to do that in an environment where people don't know Jesus. That's your mission field. To do it at work, to do it with your family. But find something. Force yourself outside. If you have a circle of friends that are all Christian or all think like you, force yourself in an environment of people who, challenge, who will challenge your thinking and who do not think like you and who are not Christian. And, um, and, and have at it, you know. God has given you the Holy Spirit to engage a world that doesn't know him. Why should we do that? Because people are going to go to hell. That's why. And God has chosen to use you and he's chosen to use me to share the gospel with people. And so that doesn't mean being fake and creating these surfacey relationships with people who don't know Jesus. That just means falling in love with people and knowing that they need Jesus and caring enough to tell them about Jesus. Um, and so that's, that's my heart. You know, like one way, one way to, just one example of that is one of my, you know, I've always wanted to get into martial arts. Like I was in that as a kid. My dad, my dad was a black belt and I always wanted to get into that. And I told Roy Ma, I said, hey, after I finish my doctoral program, I want to do martial arts. Like that's what I want to do. And then we landed in Cheyenne and we found you know, uh, American uh, Kempo, uh, you know, in this area. And so I called up a, diff- a bunch of different places, but then I called up this place, and I thought, you know what, this is a place that both Seth and I could get really involved in, and this is awesome. And so it started out as, I want to get plugged into that. I want to learn martial arts because I think it will be good for my brain and my body, and it will be something I can do with Seth. And uh, developed a love for the people that are there. Like, I love the people that are there. Developed a friendship with a lot of them. And, and uh, we're, like, we have the belt ceremony here at the church every other month. And it's not, it's not something complicated. We're not holding, like, an evangelism rally, you know, at Meadowbrook Church for everybody who wants to do Kempo. It's just building relationships with people. That's how you do mission, being real with people, loving on them. All right. So Jesus said some things about himself, and and. Anybody who doesn't believe this or anybody who has not heard it will face that judgment and they'll spend eternity in hell. Like, let's read these verses together. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Like, what does that mean? Um, The bread of life? Like, how do you get life? Jesus. 
He is the only source of life. Nobody else can give to you what Jesus can give, what only Jesus can give. And then he said, I am the light of the world. Let's read that together. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The world is walking in darkness, and you know what happens when you walk in darkness? You act and you function like you're walking in darkness, right? And, and so, so the reason why our world's the way it is is because it needs Jesus. It needs to hear the gospel. Cheyenne needs to hear the gospel. Pro- I'm hoping that frontier days will, will happen. Maybe most of you don't. I don't know. But, but fr- I'm hoping frontier days will happen. Um, but the reason why some of the things happen around frontier days and in frontier days is because people are walking in darkness and they don't know Jesus. And there are multiple churches in Cheyenne that, are, that have the message of the gospel and know and know what it means and what it is like to walk in the light. All right. Uh, Jesus also said, and I, use, I shared this verse, this chapter with the folks at the memorial service yesterday. Ready? Let's read it. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Jesus didn't say, believe in me, it's kind of optional, it's a good idea. I suggest it, but if you find something else, good. Like, he never said that. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. And you know, often every time he said something, often when he said, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the bread of life, I am, people wanted to kill him because I understood exactly what he was saying. The only way to have your sins forgiven, the only way to salvation, the only way for you to experience eternal life and to escape hell is through Jesus. And then, one other I am passage is this in John 14. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Listen, like those who reject that, those who reject Jesus will go to a place that's, that's forever, where the experience is a weeping of gnashing of teeth that is forever. A place where you're not going to see your friends. It will be eternal torment, eternal punishment, eternal destruction, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, a place of fire, Jesus said. Jesus quoted Isaiah chapter 66 when he said, this is what hell will be like. Their worm shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. It's real, brothers and sisters. It's real. The only hope of the nations is the only solution to our sin problem. Jesus. And Paul was compelled to preach the gospel because he knew this was true. Our mission statement is simply this, that we exist to develop followers of Jesus by prayerfully engaging Cheyenne and our communities with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the reason why we want to do that is because Hell is real, and the gospel is not only true, it is good news. It is good news. In America, the church is now further on the margins than it's ever been in in American history. So 
If you've not taken the Missio Dei course, I hopefully, hopefully I'll be offering it sometime in the spring. But I talk about this. The church at one point was the center of American culture in a lot of ways. Now, I think that was an illusion. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure that was necessarily good for the church to be there because that's the place of comfort when everybody agrees with you. Um, but it was the center of culture. And now America, or the church in America, is no longer the center of culture. It's on the margins. Like, it's almost outside the circle, I think. And, um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but that's just reality. That's, that's what, uh, where, where things are at. Listen, the moral majority of our country does not share a Christian worldview. And it's not going to. It's not going to. Um... In fact, the moral majority of America is convinced that, that anatomy has nothing to do with gender. That's an, that's an affront on what, of being created in the image of God. Okay? The moral majority finds the Christian worldview as intolerant, bigoted, and dangerous. Today, and this is statistically true, okay? Today, less than 9% of Americans, less than 9% of Americans believe that, uh, like, the Apostles' Creed is 100% true. That means less than 9% of Americans believe the historic uh, doctrines of the Christian faith. Less than 9%. Most people think they're a Christian because just because it's re- the religious thing to say. <laughs> I got something funny that popped up on my newsfeed this this morning. Uh, the majority of Congress said they identify as Christian. I'm like, eh, wrong answer. <laughs> like, <laughs> anyway, I'll stop there. I don't want to get in trouble more than I need to be. Okay, so. Less than 9% of Americans claim to be Christians, to claim to believe to heaven, the inerrant word of God, and that Jesus is the only way to heaven. I learned this week, and I'm just, I'll end up with, the, with some of these statistics. I learned this week that on, on 1890, in Wyoming, about 65,000 people lived in Wyoming in 1890. Uh, of the, the 65,000, only 13,000 believed in Jesus and that the rest were unchurched. That means 80% of those who lived in Wyoming in 1890 were unchurched. Um, a staggering 80% in 1890. And I did a demographic study uh, this week. I had actually paid for a professional one to be done of a five-mile radius around our church building and uh, dug up some other information. And as of 2019, the population of Wyoming was 578,759 people with, with a staggering uh, fact. Very little has changed regarding the spiritual climate of Wyoming. Now, what I did learn is that 66% of those within a five-mile radius surrounding our church building um, believe in some form of higher power, that 53% of those that live within a five-mile radius of our building pray regularly, 
but all that means is that Wyoming is more spiritual than it was in 1890, but in terms of understanding and knowing and believing the gospel, nothing has changed. And here's the question that I have. The question that I have that haunts me is, is why? There are good churches in Cheyenne. Meadowbrook's one of them. Why? I'm preaching to my own heart here. I'm talking to myself. Why? Why is that true? Why is it that nothing has changed since 1890 to 2021, that nothing has changed regarding the spiritual climate of Wyoming? If anything, we've lost traction because the population keeps growing. Why has nothing changed? Or why has very little changed? I don't know all the answers to that question. Here's what I do know. It's time for us who follow Jesus to realize that God has not called us to the comfort of our own home or the safety of politics that line up with what we believe. He's called us to engage our city with the gospel. And what's, happened, what's been happening, and this is not true in Wyoming, this is true all over our nation. The church is shrinking in America. And, and what's happening is a lot of shuffling of the deck in churches. This is, what, this is what happens. And I used to be guilty of this. I can't be guilty of it now because I'm a pastor. So I, I, I get to be on the receiving end where I get frustrated over when this happens. But um, where Christians say, I don't like what's being, I don't like what the pastor said. He's too, he's too right or he's too left or he's not talking enough about a certain subject. I'm leaving. I'm going to go to Cheyenne Hills. Or I don't like what they're doing at Cheyenne Hills. I don't like the music. I don't, I, I don't like what they're doing with the staff. I'm going to Element. Or I don't like what Element's doing. I, I just don't agree with certain things. I'm going to go to Calvary Chapel. Or I don't like Calvary Chapel. I'm going to find something smaller. Or I don't like this. I'm going to go over here. And that, a lot of shuffling in the deck. That's how, that's how churches are growing in Cheyenne, mostly, including Meadowbrook. And this is not a, I'm not, this is not, you know, Pastor Keith spanking the congregation. I'm just saying. Something's got to change. And I really believe, I really believe that, that I, I said a while back that, that, that COVID-19 was a catalyst for other things that are coming. I think one of the things that could, could potentially come is COVID-19 and everything that's happening in our nation could be a catalyst for the church to get in gear and to engage our communities with the gospel. Right? Like people need to hear about Jesus. And... Um, and so I want to leave it at that because I'm not ready to meet Jesus yet and I don't want to be at the hands of the wrath of the nursery workers that are in there. There's a lot of kids there. I, I will put in a plug. Hey, we need helpers in children's church and nursery. I know when you walk by there, you're like, not me. Um, but we could use your help. And so think about it. Just don't think about it. Pray about it. Honestly pray about it. Ask Jesus. And I think Jesus will tell you to help. All right. Um, whatever. Okay, I'm going to pray. Thank you, God, for this day. Thank you for my brothers and sisters here. Thank you for what you're doing in and through us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.